This is the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. Hosts Matt McCrone, Brian Moreland, and Glenn Lotzenheiser talk everything Tennessee Titans. This show is made for the fans of Bleed Two-Tone Blue. This is Kevin Dyson, former Tennessee Titan, and you're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. This is Two-Tone Uncensored. I'm your host, Ryan Moreland. With me tonight, the man who needs no introduction, but will get one anyway, Glenn Lotzenheiser. What's up, Glenn? What's left of me is what's up. You know, it's uh, it, it was a rough second half. I think we're all feeling it. Titans Nation is a, it's a little bit down today, but we're going to be all right. That's definitely true. And, and Matt... Necron not with us here tonight. Matt was trying to attempt to lift a five-pound dumbbell and tore his bicep, so he won't be with the show tonight. Uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to Matt. Yeah, more 12-ounce curls, Matt. Got to work your way up. All right. We have a, a good show for you. We're going to do just as we do all the time here. We're going to go into the mailbag. We got a little bit of news for you, and then we're going to head into this game and talk about the Vikings game and look forward to this week two game. Let's jump right into the mailbag here. First question sent in by Damian Woods. He asked for the top five reasons that this season opener was better than the season's past. I don't need five reasons, Glenn, but what are some reasons that you can look at from this season opener uh, that you think that this team's better than the season's past? I'm going to give you five anyway. Defense absolutely shut Adrian Peterson down. That doesn't happen very often. That's a hell of a feather in your cap to start out your year. Good, good job on the run defense against a team that you knew was going to run and that normally you can't do anything about it. Defense did not give up a touchdown, passing otherwise. That was really a good job. Murray is much better than every back we had on the team last season. Reason number four, Henry is much better than every back we had on the team last season. And then number five, the offensive line is also much better than it was last season, even though they seem to fade a little bit in the last half of the game. I agree with your five there, but I'm going to just to add a few here. Jason McCourty's healthy for what it's worth. You know, that that's definitely an improvement for us. Uh, Parrish Cox also healthy, which is an improvement for us, obviously. And I think we we have the identity. We've talked about it on the off season. We, we finally have, like, an identity. It feels more like we're, we're building somewhere, we're going somewhere, but we we know what we are right now. And I think that, that it helps the fans. It helps the team as a whole. I think it helps everybody. We now we, the, we have the title. We're the exotic Smash Mouth. We're Dick LeBeau, you know. So that those there you go. You have eight, Damien. So that's going above and beyond. That is exactly what we're here to do. Next question sent in by Brandon Basher. He said, why do you think we didn't target Delaney Walker more? Were we just trying to try out new weapons? Yeah, if you watch the game, they, we tried targeting Delaney Walker a little too much, maybe even. I, th- I think the Vikings made sure to take Walker away. He's obviously the best receiver on the team based on last year's stats. Everybody knows that he's the guy that Marcus is looking for. I mean, as much as he likes Sharp... Walker's the guy he throws the ball when things aren't going well. If you look through that game, though, you know the end zone play where he tried to force Delaney. Delaney's double covered. There's a linebacker hanging out underneath. 
He tried to gun the ball in there and damn near got it picked off. That would have been his first interception at that point, uh, just trying to force the ball into him. The last interception he threw, it was him trying to force the ball into double coverage to Delaney again. The Vikings took Delaney Walker away for the most part, and Marcus was still trying to get him the ball. That's something that we got to work on is accepting that Delaney Walker is not always going to be available. But if they're double teaming him, there's got to be somebody else open. And the positive is, is that for the most part, our other wide receivers looked okay. It looks like there's finally some other people to throw the ball to. You're, you're going to have to accept checking down at somebody other than Delaney Walker this year. All of those points are 100% correct, Glenn. I agree with everything you said here. He was They tried to take him away. That's what you do in, as a defensive coordinator is you know what they do and you try to take it away from them. And that's obviously Delaney Walker, a big part of what we do and has been in years past. I think another reason and something that you didn't mention was how we did a lot of quick passing, a lot of passing out of the backfield, a lot of screens and kind of just little gadgety kind of plays. And that's not where Delaney Walker lays his bed. That's not where he makes his money. He makes his money over the middle, mid-range, long-range passing game, especially in that mid-range area is where Delaney Walker's at his best. We saw You saw us go after Tajay Sharp a lot, and that was a lot of... A lot of slants, a lot of drag routes, real quick hits, real fast uh, pace passing. And then DeMarco Murray had seven targets, you know, obviously all coming out of the backfield. Quick passes, uh, screen passes, hitting them in the flat, trying to do stuff like that to, just to get some separation, try to get them in the open field. So I think that this scheme a little bit took away from the targets that you're going to see Delaney Walker end up getting. Next question here, Matt Bird sends this one in. With all the resources spent changing the identity of our offense, are you guys concerned with the play calling? Only on just a few plays. And the gimmicky plays, I've never liked them. I've talked about that before. I I don't like wide receiver screens. I I don't like naked bootlegs that put your quarterback out there on an island, things like that. For the most part, other than the uh, interception where Everson Griffin just came free, you know, I don't think they were getting too tricky. They, they, They got cute. I'm not too scared about our uh, play calling, though. Um, it's it's just one of those things where they're trying to put stuff out there that the other teams don't see coming. They're trying to take advantage of certain defensive sets. And just it's all meant to build and put things on tape and play forward. That's you know some of the reasons those stupid plays they called in the preseason. You know, they were just putting stuff on tape to make the defenses think about one more thing. I don't like a couple of the plays that we saw. You know, some things could have gone better, but we're going to be okay. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think that there was a lot of terrible plays being called. I, th- I thought that, you know, there were some gimmicky kind of stuff. And just like you, Glenn, I'm not a fan of a lot of it. But I don't think that we really made any really, really dumb plays, really bad. Or not that we didn't execute some bad plays, and we'll talk about that later. But then we didn't call up any plays that were extremely bad outside of a handful and I know that there's more than just one, but only one comes to mind. little, like, screen pass that we attempted that didn't make sense to me. There was, like, barely any separation. Marco Murray and Marcus Mariota. A little, like, dump pass, but there was, like, no separation between them. So the guy that was chasing down Mariota was able to make the play. That one didn't make any sense to me. You know, the screen pass, obviously, was some separation between the quarterback and uh, whoever the screen's going to so you can you know, get past the defenders that are going after the quarterback. That's how the play's designed. Uh, and so that one didn't make sense to me. But And I know that there's more than that, but there was only a few that I was really questioning the play calling. I thought, for the most part, 
it was it was decent at least like above or it was average or better play calling for the most part outside of those handful of of bad plays you still have to think that it's definitely better than it was last year i mean oh, it, it's, it's better than when wizard hut was running the show so we, we've upgraded at least somewhat where we have we're running some gimmicky crap that i'd rather not see but that's just part of putting different things on the field other than just power running the ball i mean you you saw what the vikings did they just they line Adrian Peterson up seven yards deep and they run him like a jackhammer into the middle of the line over and over again. If you're not trying to do something other than that, you're not trying to succeed. I really think that the Vikings cost themselves a lot of running yards just by not even trying to do anything else. No, I agree. We talked about it during the game, and you referred to him during the game as a cannonball, and I thought that was a perfect analogy because they were not trying to move him anywhere. And just like a cannonball, he did made no cuts. He went exactly the same trajectory in a straight line, it seemed like, right into our defensive line who swallowed him up. And we'll talk more on that later, but yeah, I didn't think that we did a bad job play calling-wise. Next one here from Buford Barbie. Sends this one in. Said, is there a possibility that this run-heavy offense is hurting Mariota's ability to read progressions in the passing game? When I look at this question, I'm thinking, you know, the only thing he could possibly mean is that Mariota should be getting more reps or something like that. Honestly, they threw the ball 41 times. They threw it more than they ran it by a considerable number. And it's not a progression thing that he's having trouble with. It's part of his problem is... Locking onto his receivers, which he's a young quarterback. You know, the veterans still do that sometimes, but he's a young quarterback, so he he doesn't do the look the uh, safeties off and that kind of thing. He he goes through his progressions. The interception where he tried to force the ball into Delaney Walker is because he was fourth quarter trying to get Delaney Walker the ball because that's his guy. Um, I I don't think it's progression thing. I think he reads the field okay most of the time. Every now and then he gets too focused on his receiver that is his primary guy for the play, and he doesn't go through his progressions. It's not a question of can he read his progressions, because we see him check down a lot. Uh, we saw it all preseason. That's the reason why we were getting so many of those little short passes. And part of that is the way our offense is set up to run. We're not built to go for 15, 20 yards on a regular basis. We don't have that deep route out there. So he's not reading through those progressions because they're just not there. We don't have that guy who's open 15 yards deep. And if anything to me, we're throwing the ball too much this early in the season. We have these two big running backs. We should be hammering the ball a lot. I know once we got behind, we didn't really have a choice. We had to start throwing the ball some. But I would rather have seen him spend a little bit more time handing the ball off. Even with the fumbles, I would rather him hand the ball off more than throw the ball 41 times. I don't think it was a progression deal at all. Yeah, I don't think that a lot of it has to do with the progressions. The only time that I think Marcus Mariota has problems with the progressions is he's an incredibly accurate quarterback, and he has confidence in that accuracy. So if he if it's a tight window on his first read, he might still throw the football. And you see this a lot with, with stronger-armed guys, and it gets talked a lot about with stronger-armed guys, is they look <clears throat> in that first route, you know, is a deep route. Let's say it's a go route. That's his primary route, and that he looks, and he's like, oh, I can get the ball down there, so he'll fire it. But it happens with accurate quarterbacks, too, where you see them try to squeeze the ball in when they probably should have went to their next uh, progression. And perfect example of this is look at Drew Brees. He's an unbelievably accurate quarterback. Guy still throws some dumb picks sometimes and likes to throw into double coverage. 
but he's got the talent to do it and the confidence in his arm to be able to, to get away with that uh, for the most part. Marcus Mariota's on the same level. He's just not there progression-wise, obviously, that, that Drew Brees was. But if you remember, Drew Brees had his own struggles when he first came into the league. It wasn't like he was a superstar starting out. So, you know, I don't think it's really an issue for him to be uh, reading progressions. I don't think that was an issue in this game for him. Um, And I don't think that'll be a problem down the road either. And Matt couldn't be here tonight, as we said earlier, but he wanted to be here in spirit, so he sent in a mailbag question. So this is from Matt. He asks, one major issue that we've had in the past and still currently face is the fact that our fans are not filling the stadium seats. It seems like no matter the opponent, their fans seem to outweigh our fans, even in our own stadium. So he asks, who does this... Who does the the fault lie with? Is it on the fans? Is it on the front office? And also, how can we resolve this issue? Well, I mean, there's a couple things that work here. Um, first, I'm going to say this. Let me remind everybody, we interviewed Justin Hartwig, former center with us, uh, won a Super Bowl with the Steelers. When we interviewed him, he said the snap is almost always on one, and fan noise really messes with the tackles, the tight ends, and everybody away from the quarterback as he tries to audible. So let me remind everybody... Make a whole lot of noise on every down. Make it from the time they start walking up to the line because that's whenever they start reading what the defense is doing and who's out there and looking at the personnel. If you can make noise right then and there, you stop them from making adjustments as they get up on the line. That's how you can make an impact as a fan. You know, Make, make your noise early and often, and snap count's almost always on one, so don't wait and start screaming. Other than that, you're always going to have that element of the fan base that's – not loud that they sit on their hands and watch games. I see it in college. I see it in the pros. Just there, There's always going to be some fans who don't make a whole lot of noise, but they show up at every game anyway. Uh, I've been at games here in Oklahoma, you know, at Sooner games, big games, and people are yelling at you for standing up and screaming because they want to sit down and watch the game. That's really not my concern. I'll go home and watch the game from there if you want to do that. One thing you're going to have trouble with – Filling up the stadium, this city didn't have an NFL team for a long time. and I mean, it, we're talking the 90s. So there's a lot of people that are fans of other teams that were fans of other teams before the Titans came here. And they're going to cheer for their teams anyway. They're going to be at these games. You're going to have to deal with that. There's always a component of the other team's fan base that shows up. You, you can't sell out all the tickets to just Titans fans because – there's people who live in Nashville that are fans of the Vikings, that are fans of the 49ers. It's just it's going to happen. One thing that has happened, and you'll hear it a lot on broadcasting, if you listen to it on the radio, you won't hear it as much because Mike Keith is announcing from the Titans side of the field. Usually the announcing crew is on the visitor side of the field. So they're sitting over there around the Vikings fans. This is why you hear Vikings fans yelling in the fourth quarter when the game is obviously going in the Vikings' way. It's because they're sitting around Vikings fans. You can't ever get rid of that entirely. The only thing you can really do about it is shout, make a lot of noise, and winning. You know, winning number one. If the Titans are winning, they're winning that game, they're winning this season, more fans will show up, the fans will be more enthusiastic, they're going to be a whole lot louder. That's the only way you're going to make it happen, where you just drown out that element that's going to be there from the other team, is win the game. I can't go out here and yell for the Vikings because the Titans are kicking our ass and their fans are making more noise. You can't hear me anyway. Absolutely. You know, this was not a problem when we had Steve McNair and Eddie George. We were filling stadiums then, 
wasn't a problem then. It's we've won five games in two seasons. That is why this is a, an issue. That's why it's a problem. And you know, Tennessee hasn't made the playoffs since 2008. When that starts to fix itself, that's when uh, you'll see this this uh, attendance issue start to fix itself. And the other thing is, it's hard in Nashville too because it's a really is a tourist city. People travel from all over the nation to Nashville because of what it represents, especially you know in the country music industry. So it's not a homegrown town or a homegrown city. It's a lot of people from a lot of different areas all over the country, you know, flock to this area. So, and just like you know, Glenn said, you're gonna have fans from probably every fan base, uh, you know, have at least a, a decent gathering there in Nashville because you know they travel from all over the all over the country to be there. That definitely affects it. But you start winning games, it's obviously going to change. And, and Glenn brings up a great point, something I didn't even think about, knew but didn't think about, was them calling the game from the away side. Definitely something to think about when you hear those fans chanting, you know, let's go Vikings at the end of that game. But it's obviously, we start winning games, it's going to change. But if you're going to the games, or if you're not going, I'll start by saying this, if you're not going, start going. If you're in the area, start going buying tickets start going if you can afford to do so the other thing is if you're there just like glenn just said be loud that you know we had justin artway going he even said it himself it does play a big factor into a game it's hard to play in loud stadiums be loud and you can help your team win a game that's i mean it's as simple as that but that's all we have for the mailbag. Thanks, everybody, who submitted to the mailbag. If you would like to submit next week, keep a lookout on our Facebook page and Tennessee Titans Uncensored Facebook group. We always put them on both pages, you know, the mailbag, and you can just comment your questions there, and you could hear them on the show. But now we're going to head into the news here with anchorman Glenn Lotzenheiser. Okay, I'm going to keep the news fairly brief because I want to talk more about the game last week and the game next week. Just now hitting the newswire, the Titans have waived Alex Tanney and brought back Cody Riggs. Matt's not here, but you know his boy's back on the team. Matt was dying inside when he found out that Riggs wasn't going to be on the team anymore. It was, it was one of the moves that just really broke his heart and had him all kinds of upset. And so his man is back. His man crush is back. Yeah, we give him crap about Bloody Ray, about him liking Bloody Ray. No, it's Cody Riggs. That's the guy he actually likes. He's going to tell you that bringing Riggs back is going to make things happen in our secondary. I don't know that I believe it, but it can't possibly hurt. We need more guys out there. We need guys out there making plays. And I'd rather have another cornerback out there than a third-string quarterback. Yeah, we talked about the why, the reason why we kept Tanny. And um, and I was saying I don't understand it. And you, and you brought up a great point when it happened. Uh, when you know when he made the 53-man rosters, he's not going to be here long. They're you know they're saving this position for somebody, uh, you know, to pick up through waivers or what have you. And it ended up being signing a guy who we just released. But we're right, it didn't last long, obviously. And as soon as you said it, it kind of clicked in my head. And it's like, okay, yeah, he's right. But this is obviously it. And bringing back Riggs, I, I don't think it's a bad move. You know, I like Cody Riggs. I think that he could be potentially helpful in our secondary, but. I mean, when's Cody Riggs going to be on the field? Yeah, you can't make a difference if you're not on the field, obviously. And when's Cody Riggs going to be on the field in our secondary? Probably close to never. Yeah, there's an awful lot more help we need than just one more uh, defensive back. But, yeah, we'll get there later on. Injury news. Derek Morgan straight his hamstring. 
He's going to miss some time from the looks of it. Doubtful for this weekend's game. At this point, he could progress faster than that and be back in there. Really, I expect we're going to see more of Kevin Dodd. Um, I'm thinking that probably we'll see some more Wallace because, as we'll talk about, the pass rush just couldn't quite get to the quarterback this last game. They need some speed out there. Dodd's a, a run stuffer, which we definitely want to have around, but we need some speed out there. The pass rush has got to get something done a little bit different. Maybe we'll see what happens without Morgan. But I know last year when he went down, the pass rush just completely stopped. So it's not good news. No, absolutely not. Derek Morgan, a a huge key piece to this defense. And it is worrisome. It it is a little nice silver lining, I guess you could say, to this uh, stormy cloud is the fact that we're going to be able to see a little bit more of Kevin Dodd, who we haven't gotten to see because of his injury. So that's the silver lining to this, but still, obviously, we want Derek Morgan in there. And that's the big thing is the pass rush, and it was important in this game, and we didn't get to see a lot of it, but it is far more significantly important in the next game, and we'll get to that more as we face a team who relies heavily on the pass in the Detroit Lions. So obviously huge, huge for us if he can get back before Sunday, definitely something that I'm going to keep eye on this week. I know that you will, and all the Titans fans out there are going to keep their eye on to see if he can play on Sunday. Yeah, one thing I do want to say is Dodd's not the first guy off the bench, probably. I think you're going to see more of Bass. I think he's going to be the first outside linebacker on there because they want that veteran presence on the field. It's just we want to see more Dodd. We're all interested in seeing what he can do. This will be a big pass rushing game that we're coming up on. So Bass will probably be out there because he's a little bit faster to the quarterback than Dodd is. And I don't think this is going to be as much of a run-heavy game. So we'll see Dodd. Maybe we see him 25, 30 snaps. I don't know if we'll even see him that much, but he's not going to be the first guy off the bench. Right. No, I agree. Absolutely. It just pushes him up a little bit more. Probably gives him 10 or so extra snaps in this game because of Morgan being out. And that is if Morgan is out. Yeah. And I'm always really big about developing your young players. And so the more snaps he gets, the more time he gets to develop. It's a big deal for me. I still would rather have Morgan on the field even though I haven't been real impressed with Morgan the preseason so far, just he doesn't seem to be getting to the quarterback. But him, having him out there makes the other team respect him being out there and opens the way for other guys. Moving on, another injury. RG3's down already. Ryan and I talked about a little bit about this earlier. It's not really so big to the Titans. But at the same time, he's down. The, the Browns were the other team that traded back and gave away or got all those picks to let somebody else get the quarterback. As we were talking earlier, we think it's a good move that they traded back because next year's quarterback crop is so much better. But you still got to feel bad for RG3 going down week one. Yeah, the factory of sadness there in Cleveland just gets sadder. I live in the Ohio area and definitely in Cleveland, uh, Brown country. It's just like Charlie Brown. You can't even like pick on him anymore because you feel bad about it <laughs> because this, this team just like, it always gets worse. Like, you know, it's, it always says like, don't ever say this is as worse as it possibly can get. That's like the franchise motto for the Cleveland Browns. And they they sign a guy who's incredibly injury prone, and week one he goes down, and it looks like he won't be back until at least week 10, is from what I'm hearing already. Yeah, it's not a gentle injury, but they usually aren't with him. Another injury, this one means a little bit more to the Titans. Uh, Keenan Allen is down and gone for the year. Uh, Looks like he tore his ACL. It's important only because we play them later on, so their number one receiver is gone, and we've already kind of seen that in the preseason when we played them. 
they don't have a whole lot else that's regular playmaker. So we'll see what's going on with the Chargers when we get to that game. But just something to note, he won't be there when we do play them later. No, absolutely. This is huge for us. You know, definitely a gigantic loss for them. And this, we don't play them until uh, November 6th. But when we play them, obviously, huge for us. It's going to be a, a gigantic help, especially because our weakness is our secondary. It takes a huge weight off of us. And also, just to throw it in there, all you fantasy owners, this has big fantasy implications. So I'll be watching out for a certain uh, Travis Benjamin and, and start looking out for other wide receivers if you have lost Keenan Allen. Yeah, definitely a big deal for fantasy stuff. Um, I didn't really want to cover any of the other stuff going on. I just want to get on with the game. We, we will, as the season goes on, bring you more fantasy news and things like that. I just Today I want to talk about what just happened game-wise and then get, get the cover in next week. All right, we are going to get to those games right after a quick commercial break. So thanks, Glenn, for bringing us the news. Time to pay the bills. Some quick ads and we'll get right back to the show. Hey, this is Ryan and Rich from the Free Parking Show. Our show is a sports podcast hosted by four sports journalists and features shows like Beers and Cheers, Par for Discourse, and our NFL preview, the 32-team parking garage. Check us out on Stitcher, Spreaker, and our website, www.freeparking.com. You're listening to Two Tone Uncensored, brought to you by Podbean. Hey, this is Bo Scaife. You're listening to Two Tone Uncensored. Tighten up. And we're back from that commercial break. We're going to move on here, as promised, to this Minnesota Vikings game. And Glenn, let's start here in the on the positive side, if you will, and what we were able to do on defense. And first. The rush defense was incredibly impressive, facing one of, if not the best running back in the league, and handled him very, very well, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, we took on one of the best rushing squads, you know, a power run team that's a lot like us, uh, and we held them to 65 yards as a team. Uh, you know, we held Adrian Peterson to less than half of that because he only put up 31 yards and his long was nine. We talked about them just cannonballing him into the middle of the, uh, line over and over again but we talked about that before the game too when we were previewing it is that they're just not a fancy run team they just hammer the ball up in there and they wait for adrian peterson to break one and our defense you know held up against that and just shut him down that is a huge positive for this team because last year that wouldn't have worked out that way he probably would have had 120 yards on us it did expose some other things uh, as we talk about this is you know our, our past defense but Really, we stacked the box. They didn't have the offensive personnel to really make us pay for it, and we were able to shut it down. And no one should be able to run against a nine-man front like that. I mean, we, we weren't even doing an eight-man front. We had nine, ten people in the box over and over again. So if we hadn't been able to stop the run, I'd be really upset about it. But they looked really good you know, shutting down the Vikings' run game. Yeah, it was incredibly impressive what they were able to do here. As you said, 31 yards on 19 carries for Adrian Peterson. He had five negative plays 
on that. Five negative yardage plays on 19 carries. The other stat I found incredibly impressive is ESPN Stats and Info has started logging yards after contact in 2009. Since then, this was the lowest average yards after contact game for Adrian Peterson in his career in that time. Since 2009, since they started recording that stat. So, this is the best tackling that Adrian Peterson has experienced in that time frame. So, we were really doing an excellent job there. Man, I couldn't say enough. And, I like, Jarrell Casey... The guy is just a menace, and he really showed up in this game, really left his mark in this game. I was very impressed with him. Angelo Blackson had a couple of very impressive plays as well. Just as a whole, you know, Carl Klug is in that group too. As a whole, I was really impressed with it, what this defensive line was able to do. Yeah, they, they were. And in that Know Your Enemy piece I write every week, I kind of touched on this, is this, this offensive line isn't quite the unit they were last year. They changed out a couple of players. And you saw our guys making plays against guys who needed to communicate better amongst their offensive line, and it really paid off for us. Casey, you know, he's going to do it no matter who's against him. No one shuts Jarrell Casey down except for Jarrell Casey. But Blackson getting through there, Klug making big plays, those guys, I was really impressed with how well they played. It gives you a lot of hope for this year because our defensive line was out there making plays. It wasn't up to the linebackers to stop the running game. And I was really looking at that, hoping that that would be the case, because this is probably the best time we could have played this offensive line. It's their first meaningful game as a unit. They've got two new players on that line. The left side and the right side are both having to communicate and uh, handle you know, change-offs, handle stunts better. And so I was really happy that the defensive line did what they were supposed to do. They worked really well as a unit. They got pressure up the middle. Like you said, no yards after carry means great tackling. Five negative plays for Adrian Peterson means we got penetration. Uh, that's that's all you can ask for your defensive line to do because it wasn't the linebackers making all the plays. The defensive line was involved getting things done. And in a 3-4 defense, the defensive line's job is usually occupy the offensive line let the linebackers make the plays. So we were not just occupying the offensive line we were getting in there and making the plays ourselves. And I wanted to throw this out there to brag a little bit, is I called this, I said that I thought we could shut Adrian Peterson down if we played well enough, and you and Matt didn't believe in me, and we were able to do it. So Yeah, yeah, whatever. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you were right. We shut him down, which I don't think anybody saw coming. Maybe if you asked some of our defenders, they might have told you that would happen, but I don't know if they would have believed it. Me and Jarrell Casey, we knew. Me and Casey. You knew. Yeah. And you guys were out for steak last week. He's like, yeah. this is going to fucking happen. And you're well, like, me and, all right. Me and him and LeBeau were just like group texting. You know, LeBeau sends me his little emojis, just happy faces and sad faces all the time. His eggplants. Yeah. All he did was just send me sad faces ever since the game ends. He just, every 15 minutes, just sends me a sad face. Moving on from the, the rushing side of things on the defensive side to the passing side, I've heard a lot of people talk about how bad we did as a unit uh, defending the pass in this game and given the squad that we had I didn't think we performed that terribly uh, what how did you see this Glenn well I mean this is another thing that I touched on last week was this is the perfect team for us to have gone up against week one with our defense because they're already kind of a one-dimensional squad they run the ball and we made them one-dimensional 
we, we made them throw the ball instead, which is not what they want to do. And when your defense can do that, you're, you're doing a good job. You're, you're taking away their strength and you're making them do something else. We didn't do that bad pass defensive wise, but you have to make plays in the pass defensive game. They, they were able to make some contested catches, but that's what you have to expect. At, at, at the NFL level, your defensive backs should be in position. I expect you to be in position because you're being paid to be there. It doesn't always work out that way. We all know what the reality of the situation is that you know guys get out of position all the time. But I expect you to be there and be ready to make plays. I thought McCordy played better than he's getting credit for. I, I thought that McCain made some nice plays. You know, Cersei was where he needed to be. Johnson saved a touchdown at one point or saved a first down at one point, making a beautiful dive because there's no way he could have got there in time. There's no way he could have gotten to Rudolph in time to tackle him properly and stop him from getting a first down. So he dove, and it was a great play. Our defense of secondary did really good in run support. They did a decent job of keeping the receivers in front of them and making plays. They, they got burned here and there, but we knew that was going to happen. We all talked about Stefan Diggs last week, and he had seven catches for 103 yards, and his long one was 33. Rudolph's long was 21. Thielen, the guy I mentioned last week that played in every game last year, he had four for 54 for 21. So they had some success throwing the ball, but they still only threw for 236 yards. We threw for more yards of them, and we're also a power run squad. They, they completed 18 of 33 passes. They didn't make huge plays, though. They, they didn't score. That's all you can really ask for your secondary to do. I thought the secondary played pretty well. I was more disappointed in the pass rush. When we're stacking the box, we got that many guys up there, and we still can't get to the quarterback. That's what's what concerns me. A lot of what you said, Glenn. I don't think we played that bad. I mean, you look at it. Sean Hill completed fifty-four percent of his passes. He was eighteen for thirty-three, two thirty-six. That's not a terrible performance by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not a great one either. Especially when you consider that this Vikings team did not score an offensive touchdown. Me and you were talking before the show started, Glenn, and you said "bend but don't break," which you know has become a cliche in football. That's the style we have to play is this bend but don't break. Well, we didn't break. That's exactly what we need to do is bend and not break. You know, it'd be awesome if we could make huge plays and stuff in the secondary and, and, you know, just completely shut people down and look like the Legion of Boom of a few years ago. But that's not going to happen with the talent that we have. We're going to bend, but hopefully not break. And I thought we did an excellent job of that. You know, no... Offensive touchdowns allowed in this game. That's a pretty inspired performance, I'd say. The pass rush worries me more than the secondary after watching that week one performance, especially if Derek Morgan can't come back you know, this week because there was just no pressure on Sean Hill at times. I mean, he was... We saw how many times on long third downs they were able to convert. You do not convert on long third downs unless you have time in the pocket. And Sean Hill just had all day at on certain places. He was just, I mean, he was reading the newspaper back there. He was doing a Sudoku. He was, you know, killing time. He had so much time in the pocket. We need to be able to get after him and get after every quarterback that we play. This has been a, a problem for us, and especially with our secondary. And the way that our secondary, is the talent level that's there, if we can really get after the quarterback, then it's only going to help them out more. And, you know, if we can't, you're leaving those guys out to, hanging out to dry. So we really have to improve this pass rush. We really have to get after the quarterback. 
I thought our pass rush, if I was giving everybody a grade, our pass rush would have graded lower than our secondary for me. I thought our secondary played better than our pass rush did. Absolutely. Um, we, we didn't get any turnovers. That's always a concern. When you're a Dick LeBeau team, you, what, what do you think about when you think about the Steelers? You, you think about guys like Paul Amalu grabbing interceptions. The safeties have to make plays in the passing game. A big part of that is forcing the ball out early, forcing the receiver, the quarterback to throw off his back foot. Sean Hill, if you watch him play, almost every play, he plants that back foot. The ball comes out immediately. He's making good plays. He's a rhythm, timing quarterback. Those kind of quarterbacks, the veterans, guys like that, he may not be making huge plays. He's not going to tear you up, but they're hard to defend. They're hard to intercept. Because he's throwing the ball before the before the receiver comes out of his break, and we, we saw it with Mariota a few times this preseason that we were really impressed with, is the guys going down the field. He hasn't cut, he hasn't started to look for the ball yet, and the ball's already in the air. And then he makes his break, and the ball hits him in the hands. It's really hard to defend that as a secondary. If the quarterback can throw in rhythm, throw on time, you're, you're going to have a really hard time shutting down any offense with any defense because the quarterback can't be allowed to just stand there and throw the ball to a spot knowing, okay, he's taking 10 steps, the ball's gone. Now the defender, he's got one step to make a play on a uh, on a pass like that. You can't let the quarterback stand back there and do Sudoku puzzles. I mean, that's, that's the whole concern to me is we weren't getting to the, this quarterback who isn't a very good quarterback. We're going to be playing a lot better quarterbacks this season. And uh, we're going to talk about that. You know, we're playing one next week. We better get to them. We got to find somebody who can get some pressure on there. This is a good offensive line that we were going up against, though. Definitely one of the better ones in the league. And like I said earlier, we got them at the right time. We got them while they were still getting gelled, while they're still having communications issues, and we still couldn't get to their quarterback. So I'm really concerned about the pass rush. I, I love Arakpo. I love Morgan. The like I've said before, they're not really outside linebackers to me. They're defensive ends playing outside linebacker, which is what you do in the 3-4. You make it hard for teams to run. You try to overpower the offensive line with just that much size and more athleticism on the outside. And then your middle linebackers come up the middle. They drop back and play zone. If this pass rush can't create turnovers for us, we're going to have a problem because we don't have ball hawks. We don't have man-to-man guys at the uh, defensive back positions. You know, we have Rashad Johnson, we have Bayard, we have Cersei. Those guys are going to have to step up. Our safeties are going to have to be the guys who erase the mistakes and who capitalize on bad throws by quarterbacks because our, our corners aren't going to get it done on their own. Yeah, I agree, Glenn. Definitely has to improve before next week, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But let's move on to the offensive side of the ball in this Vikings game. Not a lot of good things to talk about here. Glenn, what was your overall take on how our offense performed? I actually thought the offense did okay for what they are. Um, the biggest thing was you know, getting the ball to the running backs in space. They, they tried to feed Delaney Walker too much. We talked about that a little bit already where it was, Mariota was creating turnovers by trying to force feed the ball. I like getting the ball to the, the running backs out of the backfield biggest thing that I saw missing was we don't have that deep guy and we don't have a quarterback who can hit the deep guy yet or that you know at least that's not what we've seen we don't have a true number one receiver and that let the Vikings defense focus on our running game which we did pretty good anyway we didn't have fantastic numbers we weren't just marching down the field 
but we we did okay at we just we've got to get that number one receiver next year one way or the other yeah I think Tajay could provide that role for us He's it doesn't a... matter if Tajay provides a role or not well hello rock how are you that's all oh. I got <laughs> that's all I got what's up bitches <laughs> welcome back yeah man it's been uh it's been a rough couple days but I'm here you were about to say something about Tajay Sharp catching some balls or something, what we were talking about? Yeah, we were talking about the number one wide receiver not having one. I think Tajay could be that guy for us, uh, maybe down the road. Really, you know, a lot of people have been talking about how we threw the ball too much in this game and abandoned the run, which I do think that we did, but everybody keeps throwing out, you know, how many times we threw the ball, and I really think it's inflated because of all those little screens that you saw us throw, especially like earlier in the game. There was a lot of little like screens and kind of gadget kind of plays. So even though we did see, I mean, Mario to launch the ball, what was it, 41, 42 times, he really, you know, threw the ball down the field, like, what, 30 times, 31 times, something in that range. So it's it's not as bad as it looks, but we definitely did abandon the run, and I, I know that's something that both of you saw, and both of you, just like me, were not a fan of that move. Yeah, the the 41 attempts obviously go up because once you, you know, get your second turnover in a row on offense, you can't do anything but throw the ball. But they definitely abandoned it way too early. Um, One thing that stood out to me, and and before I even get into this, I watched most of the game. I didn't rewatch the game like I normally would because I wasn't planning on coming on this week. And to be completely honest, that shit depressed me on Sunday. So I was kind of kind of out of it. But one thing that stood out to me was the fourth and one where Derrick Henry should have just ran straight up the field and they did a little fucking flank or whatever. He, he ran off to the side and it went nowhere. We got to stick to the smash mouth and lose some of the exotic. Cause I mean, we abandoned it way, way too early. I like, I like what Tajay did. I don't really recall trying to feed Delaney as much as you just said. Although I, again, I didn't watch it as closely. I w- was working and I haven't rewatched it yet. It's actually on my television right now. I'm just starting to get into it. But I will say that we do need to get Delaney more involved, whether that's not necessarily force feeding, but he's definitely got to become a one of the main focal points on the offense. But that run the ball and I think, you know, with reliable hands on the outside with Matthews and Johnson, we have a decent offense. We just gotta learn how to how to use them and, and what plays to call at the right times. Well Matt it wasn't so much that you know Delaney didn't get enough targets or got too many targets. It was just the Vikings took him away. Delaney was the one guy that they weren't going to let beat them as far as the passing game went. And they were able to take him away and trying to force the ball into him is what caused one of the interceptions. The other one was, uh, like you said, getting too exotic, getting pretty, trying to have Harry Douglas draw an all-pro defensive end inside so that Mariota can run out there and throw a pass. It was a it was a bad play, like you said. They were a little too much exotic. I think next week we're seeing a lot more smash mouth because we're playing a much softer defense. They had to get a certain level of tricky just to force this defense to loosen up enough for them to get plays out there. And the first half was so much fun to watch because they were doing it. The second half, when things started going wrong, they went way wrong for everybody, and they just couldn't do anything at that point. Matt, are you are you that fan that at the third quarter, whenever we're losing, you just get drunk and forget about the rest of the game? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not there. You know what I'm saying? You guys do your points. Go ahead. I'm just here. <laughs> no, I uh, I agree. And, and Matt, you bring up a, a really great point, and I'm, I'm glad that you came on for at least a little bit because that was a really great line that you said, more Smash Mouth, less exotic. And, and that's a good point. And I think you will see it just like Glenn said next week a little bit more because of the weaker defensive line and defensive front that we're playing. But we weren't executing great. We missed some blocks here and there. There's that one where Derrick Henry got hit like four or five yards back. Like, there's nothing you can do about that. That's not Derrick Henry's fault. It, you know, if you're getting the ball in your hands and all of a sudden you're getting hit, like, you know, you can get lucky and get out of that sometimes, but nine times out of ten you're going to end up on your butt. And that's not your fault. That's a bad block. And we missed, you know, a big block on that interception that was taken back for a touchdown. It looks really bad. I'll say this. It looks really bad, but I don't think it's as bad as it looks. You know, we don't have one of those turnovers, and we're in this game. This is a very tight ball game then. We don't have either of those turnovers, and we win. So it's fixing little mistakes like that. And keep in mind as well, this is the first year in a brand new system for all of these guys. Yeah, I agree. But, man, it you know, it's not necessarily the play call. The the plays themselves weren't the problem. It was when they were called and and, and the the blocking. I don't know. Like I said, I, I don't know what you guys have already covered, but the O-line looked fairly decent to me for most of the game. Harry Douglas missed a few blocks from what I saw. But, I mean, we went up against a pretty good defense. And, uh, and if it wasn't for that defense, we would have won the game. I mean, we, we – beat ourselves sean hill sean hill although he had a decent statistical game he looked like shit from what i was watching we got no pressure on him which obviously is is the reason we couldn't get a a turnover on him but i mean we shut ad down and we we beat ourselves yeah and the the shutting ad down i think that was part of the reason why we weren't getting better pressure is we had all those guys in the box, and you know I had said we had that many guys in the box, we couldn't get any pressure on the quarterback. But in rewatching it, more of it, they weren't sending everybody; they were just stacking the box and collapsing in on the line. And since the Vikings made no real effort to get Peterson open on the edges, you know that worked just fine. But they weren't really coming upfield; you know they were staying very true to holding their lanes and presenting a wall that Peterson just couldn't get through. And I would hope that next week we see something a little bit different. Amir Adula is not nearly the running back that Peterson is. He's not going to scare anybody. So I, I hope that we see better pressure because we did make Sean Hill look way too good. Yeah, absolutely. That you know something we talked definitely talked about earlier. It's just that was hard to watch. Just Sean Hill just set back there six seconds at a time. This is the NFL. Any quarterback that you allow have that much time is going to tear you apart. But offensively, one thing I wanted to bring up was I've seen a lot, and I know you guys have seen this too, a lot of hate on Marcus Mariota that I don't feel is really that justified. I feel, one, you know, a couple of the plays were called bad. Two, his offensive line is still not great. And you could definitely have to keep that in mind that he's facing pressure. He's still a young quarterback. He's going to make mistakes. But I've been seeing people calling for his job saying that we should have put Castle in and saying that we should start Castle next week. And I got, like, pumped the brakes. Like, that knee-jerk reaction was a little too far. 
He, he did a couple bad mistakes, a couple plays, but he was having wide receivers drop passes. He was having pressure in his face. He was having to throw the ball most of the second half. I mean, it just very few quarterbacks are going to find success in that kind of environment. Man, th- this is something I was going to talk about a little bit later on, but we'll do it now. You, you crazy crackhead fans have got to stop getting drunk and high and then commenting on Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> I'm so sick and tired of this craziness. You know, Mariota sucks. We, we should just wave him now. Let's make Tanny the starter. Let's make Castle the starter. You weren't saying that in the preseason just you know a week ago. You, you watched one bad half of football where some mistakes were made. The, the ball he tried to force to Delaney Walker bad throw we've seen every quarterback in the league make that pass though and they it's going to get picked off or batted down most of the time it's just you, you focus in on the receiver you threw the ball it didn't work out for you the, the fumbled handoff where he tried to pull the ball back and murray thought that he was taking the ball okay that shit happens what are you so worried about if it happens on a regular basis you get get concerned but you know for people to be calling for his job because of two interceptions and a fumble it's insane. Just I, I see that nonsense, and it just it really gets me fired up. I have to turn off social media for the rest of the day sometimes when I see that crap. Yeah, don't don't hit send. You, you look like a fucking dumbass. I, I mean, he's the best thing to happen to this franchise in quite a few years. I mean, yeah, he had a shitty game, but he's only going to get better. To start, my, Matt Castle or Alex Tanney over him is the dumbest shit you could possibly come up with. But um, I got to say it because I just watched it again on this replay. It was the third and one when uh, we're about midfield, and Mariota should have just went with the sneak and got, our, got us a first down. Instead, he sits there like a statue and throws a little flanker to, to Derrick Henry for no gain. Well, that, that shit drives me crazy. Believe it or not, Malarkey's talked about that quite a bit already. And, uh, I thought, and I think Delaney Walker talked about it today too. That's one of their plays where they they feel they're guaranteed to gain a yard on that play because Derrick Henry should be able to run over anybody for a yard. The problem is, is if you get Henry moving sideways, he has a hard time cutting up field. It's the same thing everybody said about him coming out of college. We've been really impressed with his footwork. He should be able to fall forward for a, a yard. He's so tall, but it doesn't always happen that way for you. I agree. I would have rather have seen a called run. I, I would have been just fine with taking any of our running backs and hammering them right up the middle and getting your yard that way. And if you didn't get it, I'd feel better about it than that little flip outside that they did because I, yeah, I hate those plays. It was like three, it was like three yards behind him. So by the time mm-hmm. he got the ball and tried to go upfield, he was already getting tackled. Yeah, so. exactly. It, it's it's a play where your odds of losing are pretty bad because they're looking for shit up close. You know, it, this is something that. I'm kind of worried with this coaching group with Robisky, with Malarkey. They definitely have that old school feel to them. And Malarkey has said in his press conferences, a lot of the plays he's calling are the plays he ran back at Pittsburgh. So I wonder how much of teams are going and looking at his old play and calling and Robisky's old play calling and using that to prep for this team because they're calling the same plays. There's nothing wrong with that. Coaches have systems. If you're getting too cute whenever you see this front or that front, and they know that when we throw out this front, you know bad things happen, they, they they can kind of talk you into running plays that maybe you wouldn't run. Yeah, I agree. There's definitely 
some issues, and it's, it needs to be cleaned up. But this still, like I said earlier, it's the first time that we're actually playing in a game with the new system. Everybody's new to it, you know. It's and Marcus Mariota, it's his second year, and it's you know he's had two different offenses in two years. That's not gonna like breed success we look at like Ryan Tannehill can't progress because in what is it five years he's had three different coordinators it's hard to to be a good quarterback when you have that kind of turnover which so far you know Mariota's been seeing but I think that obviously it's going to get better I don't think it's time to to go burn your jerseys yet and, and I agree with with Glenn eloquently called all of you crackheads <laughs> yeah, just calm down a little bit. Just the knee-jerk reaction is normally like 99% of the time it's wrong. So calm down and, and really look through, look at it again. I wanted to talk about this real quick. You know, talking about we threw it, the ball too much. Well, we weren't running the ball very well. And I know you're going to have some ugly runs as part of being a running team, but we were averaging something like two yards a carry. Like it, we were not running the ball very well. And if you can't run the ball, I mean, you got to do something to try to move the ball down the field. It was just a really, really good defense, and, and you know, sometimes that's going to happen. Yeah, that front seven's no joke. Top five in the league, I would say. Yeah, and that's one of the things is people just, you know, they're, they're blaming our offense for not getting it done. Well, give the defense some credit. That's a really good veteran group over there. They know what the hell they're doing. You know, the, the Vikings are – built to run the ball and play good defense and that's what they do and they've got a much better defense than we do right now you know so so give the other team some credit and like ryan said we weren't running for a whole lot but we did have you know some passes that went for 26 29 yards we threw the ball okay we got some first downs but for the most part we're, we're a 10 yard 11 yard passing offense with a, a ground game it's not that hard to defend that so you've got to get a little bit tricky to make things happen and try to get big plays because until we get either a deep ball or just some receivers who can just get open every time, and like Ryan said, Sharp has got the potential to be that guy, but this was his first full NFL game, so it's not happening yet. You just can't expect it to happen yet. You know, th- This is not an explosive offense. You know, we, we saw it in the preseason. It can get done. You, know, you can have big plays. Uh, the, the DeMarco Murray Superman dive, that was freaking awesome. That had all of us Indeed. jumping up and shouting. Uh, the Derrick Henry, where he ran, he caught the pass, went back behind his offensive line, and we're going, what the fuck are you doing, rookie? Get upfield. Then he turns it upfield and just rips off. That was awesome. You know, you, you're going to get some exciting plays. It's not going to happen every single play. Like Ryan said, pump the brakes. It's the first week, the first game. This team has got a long way to go. All of you guys who were listening to the national sports guys tell you, this team is definitely going to the playoffs. They're going to win the division. Reality check, it's probably not going to happen that way for us. And it's not due to lack of trying. It's not due to lack of talent on Marcus's part. He had a pretty decent game for a guy playing his first game in that system against a defense this good. I mean, for him to put up 271 yards and two touchdowns, that's, that's a pretty solid day. You said it before we got on the show, Glenn. So I'm stealing it from you here. If you look at it on paper from what they did last year, this is one of the best teams we're going to play. You know, This is a team that won the NFC North last year. And obviously I know that they don't have Teddy Bridgewater, but that's really not that big of a factor for them. Sean Hill can do pretty much everything that Teddy Bridgewater can do for you outside of, uh, of providing you the running aspect of it. But 
you know, you look down the roster or look down the schedule, excuse me here, and you have you know Denver and Kansas City, Green Bay. You, there, there's some tough teams, but there's a, most teams would lose to the Vikings that we're going to play this year. I, I think so, at least. So there's a lot of potential for us to win games. This is one of the tougher opponents we're going to play. Yeah, 11 teams lost to him last year. Yep. Hey, did you guys, and you may have covered this already, did you guys notice, I mean, there was holes all over our secondary, but we could not cover Rudolph for anything, really. I mean, they, they every single time they threw to him, he was sitting there wide open. The one drop the one drop he had was because he wasn't looking when, when the ball got thrown. Our, our linebackers really need to step up on pass coverage. Yeah, we, we touched on that a little bit earlier and also last week, is this soft zone defense, that bend-don't-break defense style, where you just try to keep the guys in front of you, that breeds perfectly into a decent tight end. And Rudolph's a good tight end. He's not great. He's not Delaney Walker, but he's a good tight end. He's going to find his open spaces. And if your quarterback has all day long to stand there to throw the ball, and we don't have great coverage linebackers, like you just said, Matt, the, the tight end's going to get open. I, I was telling people that he was going to have a pretty good day just because we don't have the secondary to shut down a tight end right now. And without a pass rush, it just made it that much worse. Yeah, I think Ebron coming up is going to be a way bigger problem than, than Rudolph. And speaking of that, let's like move on now, guys, and talk about this game coming up. We've alluded to it a lot tonight. Next week, obviously, going to be taking on the Detroit Lions in Detroit. And let's start on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, a lot of things that we've already talked about here. The secondary matching up against a team that loves to throw the ball. You know, Matt just talked about, you know, matching up with another good tight end. What do you think is some keys for us on defense, and what are you going to be watching? Me personally, man, I think our biggest thing is going to have to uh, try to contain, as petty as he may sound, Theo Riddick. I think he can very well cut us up on defense. Matt Stafford also, obviously, is their probably their best offensive player they lost calvin johnson obviously but they still got three very reliable receivers and we do not have the the firepower to compete as far as the secondary goes we're talking about bend don't break but at the same time i don't know how much bending we can do we really really got to generate some pressure and and get stafford on his ass if if we want to you know, stand a chance. I do think our offense can put up points on their defense. That's that's where it's going to be interesting, but we don't want to get into a shootout with a team like Detroit. Now, th- this is a perfect game for the, uh, the the crackheads to overreact to again. We're, we're coming off of a team that's built to score low, protect the ball, play defense, and we're going to the exact opposite. We're going to a team that wants to have a shootout with you every game. Their defense is not very good. They've only got just a couple of players who are even worth mentioning, and the only one that I would really bother with is their uh, their cornerback, uh, Darius Slay. He's he's the only guy on that defense that you know would be any concern to me at all, and he doesn't really concern me because he can only cover one wide receiver at a time. the uh, The thing we're going to see with our defense playing against this offense is they're going to play back off that line a whole lot more. We're going to try to have more people in space back there. We're going to try challenge you know, them to run the ball against us. And like Matt said, Theo Riddick could tear us up. He's one of those guys where he gets that ball in space, and he just causes problems. And he, he's a concern for me. I, I'm concerned about the tight end. I'm concerned about the wide receivers just because I don't like our secondary. 
this is going to be another one of those games where we need to make some plays. Matt Stafford is a guy who will throw you some interceptions if you let him, though. If we get just decent pressure on him, he'll take a chance. He'll throw a ball somewhere where he shouldn't have thrown it. And if our safeties can make some plays, you know, that gives us a shot. But like Matt said, I'm really worried about the middle of our defense in there against the tight end, against Riddick. It's going to be a big contest to see if our defense can toughen up and protect against the pass. And, you know, they're playing the exact opposite style of defense. So we'll see how that transition goes and what LeBeau dials up for this. You know, we were talking about this Ben don't break defense, and I don't think that alone is going to be able to beat the Lions. We have to be the Ben don't break because that's what we're, you know, we don't have the, the ability to not bend. Obviously, we don't have that talent level. But we are going to have to make plays. You brought it up a good point. Matt Stafford is a very, very good quarterback in this league. But he will take chances. And if you get pressure on him, he will throw the ball. And you can force him into bad spots when he can throw interceptions. Which I think we're going to have to, to force him into turnovers in order to beat this team. As fast as they can score, as dangerous as their passing game is, and as weak as we are in our secondary, we're going to have to make a couple plays in, in this game on that side of the ball in the passing game in order to stay with them. It's okay if Matthew Stafford racks up yards in this game. If we can force turnovers and you know limit the scoring, then we can be successful. But we need to be able to make plays against them. And we need to be able to force turnovers. And that starts with getting pressure up front. And you know we said it earlier, we did not do a good job of that last game. Derek Morgan's questionable for this game coming up, and that makes me worry a lot about not being able to get the pressure. You know, as me and Glenn said, the pressure was, I think, a bigger part than our secondary playing poorly. I think our secondary was right there with the guys for the most part, I would say outside of Rudolph. But, you you know, you give a guy that long to throw, it's going to make completions. But, you know, talking about this game, we've got Golden Tate, we got Anquan Bolden. We got Marvin Jones. These are all guys who can catch the ball, you know, consistently. Golden Tate's going to be a really tough cover for us because if if you put McCordy on him, who I think you have to, he he can still beat McCordy. He's a legitimate number one receiver. He just he's been playing with Calvin Johnson. You didn't really see as much of it. As far as you know. Ebron and Theo Riddick go, those are going to kind of be the wild cards. If we sell out to stop the pass to the outside, they're going to chew us up underneath. The one thing I'm not really worried about is this offensive line and any of their running backs just as running backs. Uh, Catching the ball out of the backfield is where Theo Riddick tears people up. He's a quick guy who's given given us problems before. Those little scat backs are they're tough to corral for the big boys we got up front. But their offensive line, even though all of these guys are third-round picks or higher, and their starters are all draft picks from the last, I think it's the last five years. So it's a drafted offensive line that hasn't learned how to play together yet. I'm not really worried about them being able to slow down, Casey. After what I saw from Blackson and uh, Klug, I'm kind of curious to see what those guys can do on that side of it. So even if we don't get a whole lot of pressure from the outside, I think we can probably get some push up the middle against this offensive line. Yeah, and I think that's that's the biggest point right there is what's going to win the game is whether we can get you know pressure on, on the defensive line or, or through our linebackers, whoever it may be. I don't think Derek Morgan 
you know, a solid player, but not a difference maker. So, I mean, next man up, if it's Dodd, whoever, you know, Rackpoke, whoever can get the pressure, I think we might surprise some people. As long as we get pressure and disrupt Stafford, we have a legitimate shot. But but that's definitely got to happen because our secondary cannot just sit back and, and, you know, get thrown on all day. And obviously we got to start Castle. We just signed Tanny back to the practice squad, so he might get the start this week. There you go. Yeah, we, we, we should wave. Mariota, see if he can make it to the practice squad, and then just bring Castle back up. <laughs> hey, I mean, some of these guys are pretty sure that would happen that way. Did you guys mention my boy Cody Riggs? We, we mentioned your boy. We mentioned yeah, he's we not going to make a bit of a difference. He's just another body back there. <laughs> bold, bold, bold prediction. He's got he gets a pick this week because Bryce McCain's going to get thrown in all over. They're going to put Riggs in. Riggs is going to save the day. I'll take it. Mild take. prediction that won't happen. <laughs> I don't care with, as long as we win. I'm going to go with Ryan's prediction on this one. You're probably right, but you know my, my deal with this is is after losing this last game, and then knowing we've got the Raiders up next, th- this Lions game is a really big deal for us because this is a, one of the few teams that we've got that really I believe we're a better team talent wise than they are. Uh, the, the Lions are just a fucking dumpster fire, and the Titans are were a dumpster fire last year, and they're trying to work their way back out of it. But this is a game we got to win, and it's going to have to happen to, you know, moving to the offensive side of the ball, it's going to have to happen with the ground and pound. You know, we're, we're going to have to be the smash-mouth version to keep the ball away from Stafford and those wide receivers and just, you know, pound the ball down the field, eat up the clock, do that old Pittsburgh uh, Steelers style, you know, take the air out of the football. Every, every half we've got the possession for 20 minutes of it. They can't score if they never see the ball. Unless we turn it over. Isn't taking the air out of the football a New England Patriots thing, not a Pittsburgh Steelers uh, thing? Oh, shit. No, but I, uh, no, I agree with exactly what you said there. I was going to bring that up when we talked about it. Is Even though I think the passing lanes are going to be open, because let's be honest, this Lions defense is not very good. I, you said it perfect. Slay is the only one that is going to uh, worry us at all. They're not very good, so there's going to be passing lanes open. And obviously... You know, we want to score whenever we can, but I want to see us run a lot. Chew up that clock, and then if we can keep, you know, the Lions from scoring on the first couple drives, have some long, slow drives, put some points on the board, we can force them to feel like they need to hurry up and put them in that hurry-up mode, rush them, and in that kind of situation, they're going to make mistakes, and I think we can take advantage of that. So I want us to see, I want to see us eat clock i wanted to be see slow methodical long drives you know that just take all day long that's what i want to see out of this game from us yeah i mean if you're good at doing something do it if they can't stop you who cares if we're predictable if it works it works i mean that when you go into to last week's game uh 10 nothing at the half mariota was you know like 11 for 15 or whatever the i don't know he was having a good game i mean it wasn't anything special but if he would have just managed the game, if we would have managed the game better, we have a ten nothing lead. I mean, that's not a whole lot, but when you have when you're going against Sean Hill with a ten point lead, there's no reason why you can't win that game. We we beat ourselves, and I mean, it, it's it's obvious. Am I crazy to think that I'm a little more worried about going against Detroit's offense than Oakland's? I don't think so at I all. I don't think so at all. Yeah. I don't know, man. I'm um, I'm a lot. I'm not necessarily worried about Detroit, but I think we have a better chance of beating Oakland, to be honest. 
I, I, I agree that we have a better chance of beating Oakland as a whole team goes. But, you know, Detroit's going to throw the ball a lot. That's what I was saying. You can't let them throw the ball. You have to just – if they get their seven points, we get our seven points, but we take ten minutes to do it. That's the only way I see us winning. If we try to get in a shootout, even as bad as our secondary is, I think we have a hard time winning a shootout against a squad, though you know, we've seen some big point numbers in the preseason. I think we have – I don't know. That's a tough one. I think it's pretty close between the Lions and the Raiders because I think the Raiders' defense is much better than the Lions' defense is. You know, there's a couple guys on that defense that give me nightmares. You know, Cleo Mack and, and uh, they added was Sean Smith – you know, that secondary's not that bad, you know, as they were last year outside of Charles Woodson, obviously. And then they bring in a Bruce Irvin, too. They come off of an edge rusher. That defense is a lot better than the Lions. Even though the, so I think I think that we have a better chance of beating the Lions than we do the Raiders. I, if I had to pick one, I think that's how I'd pick it. But then right after that, we go to Houston away. That's These first four games are not easy ones for us. But then after that, it does lighten up a lot for us. That The second four-game chunk, Dolphins away and Miami, then at home against the Browns, at home against the Colts, at home against the Jaguars, those, I think, are all winnable games for us. You know, this definitely the first four games are pretty rough, and then after that, it, it lightens up a lot for us in the next, even after that, the Chargers after that, all the way into Green Bay, we have a pretty easy stretch. What's your prediction in the first four games? Uh, an honest prediction after what I saw and, and what I think we're at in a team, one and three. That's actually where I'm at, too. I, I think we get one of these games. I'm hoping it's this Lions game. I, I don't know what we'll end up seeing when we get to playing Oakland. We already played them once this, in the preseason. We have an idea of what they've got, so it's possible we get that game. But I think one and three is probably realistic just based on how it seems to go for this team. We have a lot of fans have, will have finished jumping ship by then. I mean, we had, <laughs> we had guys leaving the, the, the team you know, midway through the third quarter. You, you lose a couple more, that'll take care of some more of these wannabes or you know, people who are just front runners and don't really care about the team. They'll, they'll go away, and then we'll get into the easier part of the schedule, that, that second set of four. And we'll start winning some games, and some of them will come back. Some of them will say they never left, and we'll all call them out for it. <laughs> Yeah, it it drives me nuts. I mean, like we, the last two years have been awful. If you're if you're claiming to be a Titans fan right now, there's no reason why you should be going anywhere. No one is claiming that we are bandwagon fans right now. That's for sure. <laughs> we we got some hanging around though, which I I always find surprising. You know, the, the beginning of the year, these these bandwagon fans show up there talking about how great we're going to be. Like last year, when I was busy telling everybody how horrible the offensive line was going to be, and how. If, if we won five games, it'd be a miracle. And everybody was saying, you know, we're, we're going to the playoffs because of Marcus. And it's like, it's just not going to happen that way. you got a rookie quarterback and no offensive line. And then, you know, week week one comes along and we're all like, wow, maybe I do believe. And then hey. week two, and then week three, and then week four. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys recall our record three years ago? Six and ten? Okay. Six and ten. Or what? The last... The last three years, we've we've pretty much dominated on opening day, and it obviously turned out like shit. So maybe it was good to break this trend, and and maybe we can go on another little run here. Delaney Walker said people... his neighbor sent him a text about that. That hey, I've... maybe you finally broke into Schneid. <laughs> I've seen oh, a lot of it, people say that, and uh, I mean it's wishful thinking. I hope it's definitely true that 
I hope now that we lose the opening game and then uh, don't lose another game for the rest of the season, but uh, I don't think it's going to happen. It's rough, man. I, that's the thing is, you know, you talked about last year. I got called out by quite a few Titans fans for after week one saying that we were still going to only win four games that year. And I was wrong because I overestimated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think we can still win six. I called six, and I still think this was not one of my six when I counted out my six. So I still think we can win six games this year. Definitely five. And it's not that bad. That bad. You know, It's we're building a really good team here, but it takes time. We're implementing a new system. We have... I mean, from top to bottom, everyone in this organization is pretty much new. You know, bringing in a lot of new players, a lot of new faces, new general manager, new head coach. The ownership hasn't even been there that long. So it's a lot of changeover, but we're building. We're heading in the right direction, but it's not going to happen overnight. And I think a lot of fans thought it was and got their hopes up for this. You know, we all know one guy out there calling us we were going to win 13 games this season. That's just ridiculous. It, it takes time to build this thing. So don't worry. We're heading in the right direction. We'll be there soon enough. How many times have I said that this offseason? <laughs> we, the right we, we say it. The right direction. The right direction. Almost every time we talk to anybody, we're like, hey, we're heading in the right direction. Uh, I think one of the things that throws people off is there have been times in the past where we've seen a team that had everything but a quarterback turn around and in that rookie season, all of a sudden they take off and they start winning games. What people don't understand is this team over the last three years, you know, the, the two years before this, they did such a fantastic job of tearing this team down, getting rid of anybody who had any real ability. You know, the, the old veterans were old, retiring. We had not drafted anybody to back them up and replace them. Our Nobody. draft picks were bust over and over again. If you draft, you know, workout wonders who can't play, you, you get – Workout wonders who can't play on the field too, and you know it showed we had no depth. That's the reason why so many of the draft picks from the last two years are gone. It's not Robinson, you know, pulling out his dick and slapping Webster upside the head, saying, "Hey, this is my team." <laughs> that's, not, that's not why he's cutting these guys. He's cutting these guys because they can't cut it. You probably should do that though. Are you I, sure? It would be funny. <laughs> I, I'm okay with it. If that's what needs to happen. Dude. You know, fine. Fifty yard line, do it. <laughs> Listen, I don't know the number, but this is the most roster turnover I can ever remember. I mean, this is, we have like a whole uh, completely different team right now, and I mean it's it's welcomed. But the the fact that we have pretty much no players from our last however many drafts is is disturbing. Rustin Webster should not have a job. I don't know how he does, but whatever, man. I, is he is he still on with the Falcons? I didn't hear. I didn't hear that he got fired, so I assume so. I don't follow him, but I, last, I did, that would have been news. So <laughs> that's that's true. I think right. we I established know. early on in this show that he is your godfather, so you can't like yeah. play that down now. Well, he doesn't call me anymore, so well, I, I mean, really don't. I, Thanksgiving's coming up soon. I'm sure you'll see him. He, he stopped paying the note on Matt's car, so it got reset. Matt's <laughs> <laughs> done with him now. That's how I tore my bicep. I was jacking him up. And he just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The uh, the as far as turnover goes, this is a, on this team for sure. The biggest change I've seen since the uh, the '93 uh, after that season, when all of a sudden you had a salary cap. 
when the salary cap came on, the Oilers were not at all prepared for that. They had just basically had to just trash the entire roster. So they took one of the best teams I've ever seen, and it became one of the worst teams I've ever seen overnight. And this is kind of what happened to us, is we've been that worst team the last couple of years, and now we're trying to correct that course and put us back in the right direction. And people just have to accept that one draft, no matter how good this draft looks like it is, doesn't change the team that year. Uh, draft picks take two, three years to get that good. If When Marcus came to this team, we had already had you know, a dominant defense. We already had a dominant line and dominant running game. Then you insert that you know really good rookie quarterback, and you win a bunch of games. That's not what happened. We put a really good rookie quarterback in there, a couple of okay pieces in Delaney Walker and Jarrell Casey, and a whole bunch of just, we can't get it done. These are backup players that we're asking to start and win games with. So it's not going to happen this year. We've, we keep saying that, and we'll probably have to keep saying that week after week. That's about all we have for this show. Very packed show we're going to have for you. We do have a new poll that's going up. Since we just asked on the show here how we think the Tennessee Titans team is going to fare in the first first four games, that's what I'm going to throw up on the poll so you can be able to go on there on our site at, at uncensored.podbean.com and vote how many games you think we're going to win in the first four. Guys, before we get off, you got predictions for this weekend? First, let me say I never actually gave my four-game prediction. I'm going to actually go two and two. Um as far as this week's game, man, I don't know. I'm going to say 20 to 17 Titans. I think if uh, we win, it'll be about like about like Matt just said, 20 to 17, 21 to 17, somewhere in there. If we lose, it could very well be you know 35 to 13 or something like that. I think if we win, we win a close one. If we lose, we lose bad. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to say. 28-22, we win. Final score. That's an interesting score to come up with there. <laughs> there it is. A safety, two field goals, two touchdowns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 going to happen. Just wait. Hey, later on during this season, Ryan is going to throw out a, a .5 or something like that just to try to do the uh, prices Right thing and bid $1 over the next guy. He's, he's going to say, yeah, what right, did it's going to be 21-14.5. to 14.5. What did Matt, Matt said? Twenty to seventeen. I'm twenty-one to eighteen. Yeah. The the Lions kick six field goals. Hey, I want a formal apology to Cody Riggs if he gets an interception this week. All right. I'll, okay. I will. Do you that. can formally apologize to him if he gets interception this week. No, I will do that. I'll do that on air. I will formally apologize if he does get an interception. I'll do that. I have nothing to apologize for. You will apologize. It will not happen. You have no shame, You only got sir. one good arm left, buddy. <laughs> yeah. No all right. That's all the show we have. Be sure to listen and listen to us every Wednesday and keep rooting for the Titans. Tighten up, everybody, and start Matt Castle this week. No more crack. Crack is bad. Crack is bad. Get Thanks for listening to the Two-Tone Uncensored podcast. You can listen to the show at twotoneuncensored.podbean.com or by downloading the Podbean app on your mobile device. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Two-Tone Uncensored and like us on Facebook.